Welcome in to a Big Ten Championship Game Recap and College Football Playoff Preview Edition of Real Pod Wednesdays. Lots to talk about here this week. Ohio State, as we predicted last week, is playing in the college football playoff, is playing Clemson once again for the second year in a row. So lots to talk about there. Already lots of storylines, lots of back and forth banter as we ramp up toward this game that's only a little over a week away on a, on a much shorter buildup to the college football playoff this year after the playoff field was just selected on Sunday after the conference championship games on Saturday. But we saw Ohio State uh, do what it needed to do against Northwestern, not the prettiest game, but ultimately doing what it needed to do, getting a 22-10 win over Northwestern in the year 2020 to win its fourth straight Big Ten championship, lock up its berth in the college football playoff. And Colin, I feel like we got to start by talking about Trey Sermon because where did that come from? Yeah, if we're going to talk about – we're going to if we're going to start by talking about the Big Ten title game, I, I don't know that there's anywhere else to start with um, than that because we had a conversation last week where, you know, you were you were – you thought Trey Sermon going into, you know, coming out of the Michigan State game, you were pretty impressed. And I was sort of saying, you know, should, like we can have this conversation again once he's doing it consistently. <laughs> and then he ran for 300 and what, 31 yards? Yeah, it's pretty consistent. It was unbelievable. I mean, it was unbelievable. It, it was one of those things where, you know, you're sort of sitting there and it's it's almost surreal. And I think that, you know, it's worth diving into a conversation about Ryan day, the play caller, because I thought that that was, uh, I guess I would call it an interesting game plan by him. And, in you know, but I think, you know, part of the thing that was fascinating to me is what was fascinating to him, which is, you know, after the game, Ryan day had sort of said first two, three weeks of the season, we weren't really sure about Trey Sermon first two, three weeks of the season. We weren't sure about Trey Sermon either, Dan. Um, I almost feel like that they were slow to go to Trey Sermon because they were like, is this really going to be able to, to be consistent throughout the game? And then he averaged 11.4 yards per carry on 29 touches. Yeah, I thought that was a telling comment by Ryan Day after the game saying that, you know, we really weren't sure what we had. And, I, and you're right. I think we all kind of felt that way with Trey Sermon that, you know, I think we we were both pretty excited about Trey Sermon coming into the year, I think. You know, we, we kind of thought he was a guy who could be an instant impact kind of guy for them. And he wasn't the first few weeks. He, he was just okay. I mean, he, 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 you know, he just, he just didn't, you didn't see, you know, some of the flashes from him those first few weeks that we thought we were going to see. And it just seems like every week now he's gotten more and more confident. And, you know, and we, we did, we talked about it last week. I, I was impressed by him against Michigan, Michigan state. I thought, I thought, you know, that was by far his best game. You weren't really that impressed. You know, even even the week before that against Indiana, he didn't do a lot, but he did have a key run, you know, late in the game to, you know, keep get a first down when Ohio State really needed to, you know, take some time off the clock and, and try to put away that game. And I think even that was probably a confidence booster for him where it seems like we've just seen his confidence grow and grow each week. And it's so hard in a season like this because you only – we've only had six games to watch. So – you know, this is a guy, if this was a full season, you know, maybe he hits that stride halfway through the season, and then maybe he really has a huge year as the year goes along. When you only have six games in such a short season, 
there's less of a time for a guy to develop, for a guy to really build up. But I think we've seen it over the last few weeks, him really hit his stride. And certainly uh, to do what he did against Northwestern, averaging over 11 yards per carry, to break a school record set by Eddie George, to break a Big Ten championship game record set by Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, we're talking about two of the greatest players in Ohio State history right there. And Trey Sermon just topped those guys with a phenomenal performance that, you know, yeah, I mean, even though I was impressed by what we saw against Michigan State, I didn't see that coming. I think the numbers are great and all, but I think that, and I I think, you know, some of the numbers to me are just astounding. Like if you look, he had 29 rushes. You know, I was looking for consistency out of him. I was looking for him to make guys miss the second level to to, to run through tackles um, at a rate that he just didn't do early on in the season. And I think, you know, against Michigan State, we saw in that 26-yarder him do that. I just want to see him do that again and again. He had 29 carries, and only five of those went for fewer than five yards. Like, that to me is crazy. I mean, when I talk about consistency, like, I wasn't expecting that. Like that's just that's just a different level to me. And I think that the one thing beyond the numbers to me is like he saved their butts. Like if that if Trey Sermon didn't have a didn't have this game, if Trey Sermon didn't look like the greatest <laughs> greatest running back in college football, they legitimately could have been in danger of losing. And this podcast would have been a heck of a lot different without a Clemson discussion and and the wings. Yeah, no, you're 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 absolutely right about that. Uh, that they could have been in danger of losing that game without. You Trey Sermon and the performance he had, and you know, I think we, I think we got to give props to the offensive line as well because I think you know they were a huge factor in his success. I mean, I was rewatching the game; you could just see. I mean, they were just they were just dominating on the line, I and mean, they were just driving uh, Northwestern guys off the line every play. I mean, tight ends as well. I mean, Farrell and Ruckert both had fantastic games uh, blocking, and, and it was just you know I think you know, that was kind of to me. You know, that was kind of what I thought we were going to see from this offensive line, but I didn't think we saw early in the year. And I think we, you know, that was, that was kind of what I'd been waiting to see from this offensive line all year long was a game where, you know, these five guys who are all, you know, future NFL players, uh, you know, really, really talented offensive linemen would just go in and just dominate a game in, in the trenches. And, you know, sure. They might, he still had some issues in, pass protection and we'll get to that in just a minute but uh in terms of the run blocking i mean they just absolutely imposed their will on northwestern i think that coming out of this game and and, you know the conversation around trey sermon is you know you almost have to just look ahead and i think that you know we had a couple of questions um from listeners on that which is i think from keys if i pronounce that correctly which is does sermon give us a better chance to win presumably against Clemson and will he get the majority of the carries next game? And then from a username, I'll just call him Eddie uh, says, <laughs> is this an, is this an, I don't, I don't need to read that last name. Is this an anomaly or is this a sign of things to come? Yeah. I mean, I think those are both good questions. I mean, first of all, I mean, in terms of will he get the majority of carries next game, I would have to think, that if you rush for the school record, you're going to be the starter of the next game. You're going to be the feature back. I mean, I, I think Trey Sermon has earned that. Uh, we don't even know. I don't know exactly what happened to Master Teague. I mean, he, I rewatching the game. I was trying to figure out what happened to him, why he had to leave the game, and I really couldn't tell. So I'm not quite sure there. You know, we'll see if we get an update here uh, at any point. You know, before uh, next week's game on him, but we're not even sure if he's fully healthy. But I think 
even if he is, I mean, the way Trey Sermon played against Northwestern, I, I just don't know how you wouldn't give him the majority of a carries next game. Yeah, I'm there with you. I think the I think the question I have is like what like what? Like like my my one my number one question is the same one I had in the press bot or uh when I was watching the game live, which is like what is happening? Like who is this guy? And I and I thought the same thing when he had that run against Michigan State because I just don't understand it. And if this is just like a confidence thing where he just didn't have a lot of confidence going into the season and you know it's a weird lead up to the season, things are just things are just different. Like you're preparing for games that don't happen. Like there's a pause in workouts before the season. There's a pause in the season during the season. If, if that's, if that's what sort of like made him a little bit slow to, to adjust to Ohio state, that makes sense. I think that this is something he can carry into the Clemson game. I really do. And I think that um, what this offensive line, you know, is sort of developed into is something that, you know, you have that combination going against the, the the Clemson front seven. I think that this is something they can turn to. What's the kind well, you know, what's the similar thing between this and every single other aspect of the team is, you know, what's it going to be like when you face a, a more talented team, a, a team that has more NFL bodies up front. I think that that's, that's just, uh, that's just the, that's the number one thing with this team is, I just don't know what it'll look like a lot, a lot of the time when they go up against a team with, with, you know, talent equated, which is a, a phrase that we used a lot of the time last year, which is, I guess it's time to bring it back up because Clemson will be the first time we see that. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is hard to say, but I tend to agree. I mean, I, I think that, you know, I think that it is translatable. Do I think he's going to run for 331 yards against Clemson? Absolutely not. But seems unlikely, but do I think that, you know, that he is someone they can count on that run blocking is someone they can count on. You know, I think they've hit their stride at the right time here. I mean, I mean, for the questions that were out there at the start of the year, I mean, right now, Ohio state leads all power five teams in rushing yards per game. So uh, Ohio state's rushing offense is one of the best in the country. It, it legitimately is. And, and so I, I think, you know, I think they're going to be able to have some success against Clemson Edgar. And more than that, I think they have to, because I think, you know, I, I think we've talked a lot about how, you know, if you have Justin Fields, anything is possible and how Justin can really carry his team. But we saw it against Northwestern. I mean, you just alluded to a couple minutes ago. I mean, Justin Fields had his worst game as a Buckeye and it wasn't even close against Northwestern. And now, granted, I think Justin Fields is going to play better against Clemson than he did against Northwestern. I don't think that's going to continue. But I do think it's fair to be a little bit concerned about Justin Fields now because we've seen him have his two worst games as a Buckeye in their last three games, that being the Indiana and Northwestern game. And, you know, just watching him, you know, one of the things that really struck me just watching the game from the press box on Saturdays, he just didn't look comfortable. Like he just didn't look comfortable in the pocket. He, he didn't look confident. You know, you re, then I rewatch the game and you know, he's staring down a lot of his reads and, and, and he's making more questionable decisions than, than we saw him make, you know, earlier in the year and even last year. And, and I don't really know why. I mean, certainly I think in terms of a Northwestern game, I think having not having Chris Olave made maybe a bigger impact than I would have guessed that, you know, obviously he's one of, you know, Ohio state's top two receivers and, and he's a guy that 
Justin Townsend a lot and uh, not having him out there, I think certainly made an impact, but Justin Fields is going to have to play a lot better than that against Clemson for Ohio state to have a chance to beat Clemson. And we also know that he hurt his thumb uh, near the end of that Northwestern game. And we don't really know the severity of it, but if he's hampered at all in that regard too, you know, that's another question mark that goes into the equation. I felt like there were two certainties about this Ohio state team going into the big 10 championship game. And I think that this is the thing that has sort of made me and probably a lot of other people really wonder about this Ohio state team and and how it's going to match up against Clemson. And that is one, like I just figured Justin Fields would be really, really good. The vast, vast, vast majority of the time. And the fact that he's had his two worst games of the season against the two best defense or the two best teams that he's played, not a great sign. And the other certainty I thought was Ryan day is going to call a great game. And Ryan day certainly didn't call a good game. And I think that those two things combined are like that. I've had to just reevaluate just baseline stuff about this team and what I think about this team, because if I think about, you know, how is Ohio state going to beat Northwestern? It's like, it's going to be Northwestern because Ryan day is going to coach a really smart game. And Justin Fields is going to do amazing things. They beat Northwestern in spite of Ryan day and spite of Justin Fields. And because Trey Sermon, who I thought was average or below average for five games was the best running back in college football for one game. And as we sit here after six games, I no longer feel like I have a good feel on this team. I really don't. I, I don't because I feel like Justin Fields has to be awesome when they're in the playoff. And I feel that way because I don't really believe in the run game to, to a, to a great degree. And now I'm rethinking that, like, is the run game going to be there in a way I didn't really expect it. And conversely, like is Justin Fields going to have some of these same struggles that he had against Indiana and that he had against Northwestern, which played him differently um, when he faces Clemson and Brent Venables. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is I, I don't want to be a prisoner of a moment. Cause I think sometimes we can do that. And I mean, look, look, I think Justin Fields is a phenomenal player. I think he's a phenomenal talent. I think he might be the best player Ohio state has had. I think, you know, the, the, the fools on Twitter who are saying bench Justin Fields for CJ Stroud are absolute idiots. I, mean, I think Justin Fields is a phenomenal player, but the thing that does concern me is you know, it seems like these two games he struggled. It, it seems like the blueprint that's out there now is if you can blitz Justin Fields, if you can make him uncomfortable, you can force him to make mistakes. You can get him out of his this groove. And you're going now against a defense and a coordinator in Brent Venables. This is a Clemson team. They blitz from everywhere. I mean, this is a team that's extremely aggressive in terms of getting into the backfield, trying to put pressure on the quarterback. And it's not just one guy you can take out of the equation either. This is a team, you know, if you just look at their numbers, you know, they rank second in the entire country in tackles for loss and sacks. But there's not one guy who's got a huge numbers in any of those categories. It's just, they have so many different guys who contribute in that regard, which is going to make their defense really tough uh, to game plan for really tough to, to neutralize those threats. And, and obviously, you know, whatever game plan Ohio state had in place, you know, for Saturday, you know, for multiple reasons, 
it didn't work. I mean, for one, I mean, you mentioned the, the play calling by Ryan day. I mean, I, I do, I do think Ryan day had his worst game as a play caller at Ohio state. And, you know, I, I'm always a little hesitant to, to get too far into the weeds with, you know, arguing about play calling and stuff, because I, I, I know that Ryan day knows a lot more about how to call a game than I do. I, I know that it's not my area of expertise uh, in terms of play calling. But there was also a point in the game where it became clear to everybody watching that running the ball was working. I mean, Northwestern just was not stopping the run, period. It didn't matter what they were doing. They were not stopping it. And Ohio State had way too many drives that stalled after long runs because they went to the pass and they weren't able to complete passes and I asked Ryan Day after the game I asked him did you regret not committing to the run earlier and he basically told me no he basically said no uh, we're going to be aggressive this is what we do Um, you know we just got to execute better we just got to coach better I I don't know I, I don't I don't I don't know that I love that response I really don't because I think you know I to me it, it, it just seemed like they were, you know, they were trying to just keep going back to what wasn't working when something clearly was. And then, you know, beyond that, you know, I, you know, I think, you know, I don't know that aggressive is necessarily a synonym for passing the ball. And beyond that, you know, there were just some plays that were run in this game and it's hard to tell from the outside whether these were plays that were called by Ryan day or whether these were decisions that Justin Fields made, but there were just some, some bizarre decisions in this game, you know, throwing passes behind the line of scrimmage, trying to get too cute when it seemed like Ohio state, you know, they had that physical advantage. They could move the ball as they wanted to in the run game. And yet they only scored 22 points because they were trying to do other things that just weren't working. I think that my issue with Ryan Day's play calling is when you ask him after the game, if he regrets being, if he regrets sort of how he called the game or whatnot. And he says, no, cause he's always going to be aggressive. I think that my thing that I would be concerned about is I believe him. Like I believe him. I think that that's a hundred percent what he thinks. He thought that he was being aggressive. He would do it again, 10 times out of 10. And because we've seen him, quote unquote, be aggressive. When he talks about being aggressive, whether it be down in the red zone, um, on fourth downs, going for it, like he backs it up with actions. And I think that the concern would be that he would back this up with actions too. And that he would con- continue to, to you know, attack down the field when maybe things aren't exactly going the way he would like to in, in, in that regard. And, you know, I don't really, I, you know, it's hard to know how the, the, how the sugar bowl will play out because I do wonder like Chris Olave as you know, we fully expect him to be back out there. Could you have more success down the field with, with Chris Olave out there? And is this not, not as much of a conversation. Some of that was personnel. Like, I think that that's conceivable, but I also think, you know, you have to be aware of, of what's being given to you. And I think that it just took too, too long for Ryan day to, to figure that out. And I, you know, he, it seemed like he just fell in love with going down the field and, and not just him. I think that that was a Justin Fields thing too. And, and I think that that's the concerning part about 
you know, this game. And, and I do wonder though, like you're not going to beat Clemson by running the ball 85 times. Like you are going to have to go down the field. So to me, like, I don't really know how much of a change we're going to see against Clemson. I don't know whether that's good or bad, because like I said, they probably will have a lobby. Yeah. I mean, I think to, to think that you're just going to be able to just run the ball all game and just beat Clemson run the ball. I don't think that's going to happen. So I think some of it's a moot point because I think you're absolutely going to have to be able to pass the ball to beat Clemson and Justin Fields needs to be at his best. I mean, he just does. He he needs to be at his best to beat Clemson because, you know, we're going to talk about, you know, the defense and stuff later too. And, and I just, I don't think, I don't think you're going to beat Clemson if you're not firing at all cylinders on offense. So, you know, Justin Fields, you know, whatever they've got to, but between him and Ryan day and Corey Dennis, they've got to figure out, you know, why he's been struggling more in some of these recent games than he was early in the year. Cause he has one of our questioners asked Buckeye city. He has you know, fields at an 84% completion percentage after two games. How has it come to this? And like, I'll be honest. Like, I don't, I don't really know like w- what exactly has happened here. Like I, I think part of it is the way defenses are playing him, but it was also still shocking to just see Justin look that off on Saturday. Like that was the first time in Justin Fields' Ohio state career, really where I watched a game and every time he dropped back to pass, I was not confident he was going to make a play. Like, most of the time when he's back there, like you just feel like any play has a chance that game. Like it, it just, it got to a point where you could tell it just wasn't working. And it felt like every time they dropped back to pass, it was more likely to be a wasted play than anything else. Something's gone terribly wrong when the guy that I sort of think might be the most talented player in Ohio state football history, I was sitting there on Saturday thinking, you know, they can't really keep it in his hands anymore. Like he's got to get rid of it, whether it be going underneath or whether it be handing it off because whatever they're doing, like this thing just isn't working. Yeah. And, you know, and I think, you know, the other question of course here is going to be, is he going to be fully healthy for this game after he hurt his thumb? And I I really don't know. I mean, the, the, the one thing I know is this. They told us last year that his knee was fine going into the Clemson game. It was not fine. We found that out later. So they're not going to tell us. If, if he's not 100%, they're not going to tell us that he's not 100% because they don't want Clemson to know that. Well, if you remember, that's actually not totally true because Justin Fields said that it was like 85 to 90%. Well, Ryan Day, Ryan Day then, said he was fine. Well, Ryan, yeah, I mean, that is true, but um, I don't, I'm sorry to, to Ryan, but I'm not going to. I think fine in Ryan Day's parlance means that he's going to play football which is, I believe that he will play football and he will be out on the field. But, you know, it's funny. I went back to a story that you wrote in January for, you know, a piece that I wrote about Justin and Trevor Lawrence earlier this week. And it was, you know, he had a, he had a quote that I thought was very pertinent to this matchup, which is he was sort of saying that, you know, if Aaron Rodgers didn't have a full week of practice before a game, you know, he's Aaron Rodgers. Things are probably going to be fine. If you're Justin Fields, if you're a kid in college, and you don't practice for a week and you don't have that preparation, like that's probably not a great sign. And, you know, I don't know how much it's going to hurt him on game day, 
But Ryan Day straight up admitted that the preparation for last week's Fiat or last year's Fiesta Bowl wasn't optimal because of his injury and because that didn't allow him to practice the way that they needed. And Ryan Day has been talking this week, like he talked most recently on Sunday about the need for this team to be able to, to get out onto the field and practice together. And with Justin and his and his thumb like this, it's just hard to know how much of that they're going to be able to do. Yeah, and I think he needs to practice more than ever right now because we just talked about it. I mean, he, he had a bad game on Saturday. He's had some struggles in the last couple of weeks, and I think there's things that they've got to work through uh, if he's going to be back at his best against Clemson in nine days from now. You personally, and this just like, as we sit here today, between the championship weekend and the Sugar Bowl, like – do you feel like you have a handle on what to expect from this offense? Or do you feel like you're going to go into that game not really knowing what Justin Fields, Ryan Day, Trey Sermon, or Chris Olave will show up? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I am sure. I really don't know that I am sure because there are a lot of variables here. I mean, there's Fields' health. There's Olave's health. There's Master Teague's health. And and there's just, you know, things have been so, you know, I don't – I'm at the point I've, I've, I've kind of said this all along, but I really feel it now as we're going into this game against Clemson is I really don't know how good this Ohio state team is. I think we're going to find out in nine days, but I really don't know. And, and it, and, and it, to me, and because of that, I think there's a wide range of possibilities that can happen here next week. I mean, could Ohio state beat Clemson? Absolutely. Could Clemson blow out Ohio state? Absolutely. Because I, I just, I just don't know how good this Ohio State team is. We, we haven't seen them play enough games, and you know, especially with kind of a way things have been disjointed here down the stretch. I, I just don't know exactly what this team is. I, I, I think Ryan Day is absolutely correct, though, when he says Ohio State's gonna need to play its best game against Clemson, and that he doesn't think Ohio State's played its best game yet. Because I, I think if Ohio State doesn't play better than what we've seen so far this season, I don't think Ohio State will beat Clemson. So I think this next week of preparation is going to be really important for the Buckeyes to, to get to whatever their best is. This is such a weird podcast where they're undefeated, they're going to play Clemson, and it's like, what in the world is up with this team? <laughs> like, that's sort of where we – it makes no sense. But 2020 makes no sense. So I guess it – I guess I shouldn't be too surprised that we're sitting here having no understanding of what the best quarterback in Ohio State history, the, the, the head coach who's lost one game in two years, and the running back who, you know, wasn't very good for five weeks and then turned into the best – running back in college football for one game will do once the, once the, once the sugar bowl rolls around. Well, we're at that point now, you know, I mean, there were times in the year where I've kind of pleaded with our listeners to, to just relax. It's just one game, you know, let's, let's not worry right now about, you know, did they play well enough to beat Clemson? Cause they didn't have to do that, but guess what? Now they do have to be good enough to beat Clemson. Now is the time to worry about that. So now, so now is when we have to start looking at it through that prism of, is this team good enough to beat Clemson? And I think the answer is we just don't know. I've just, my, my brain works weird. So I was just thinking about this. Uh, what do you think will be the higher number against Clemson? Justin Fields passing yards or Justin Fields running yards combined with Trey Sermon running yards? 
Yeah, it's a hard question because I hadn't really given that any thought. Do you have an answer on that? No, but I, I, I think it like if if you had asked me that, um, what five days ago, I would have been like, "Why are you asking that? That's the <laughs> worst question you've ever asked me." <laughs> and then now I'm sitting here wondering whether whether one is the better outcome than the other. Like I don't really know. I think that I think that the thing that is interesting about Justin is I just feel like he hasn't been you know fully unleashed this year yet. Like there are times where I felt like he's really been clicking through the air. And then there are times that I've felt that, you know, on the ground, I think that he's been really solid. I mean, he, he didn't look very good in either instance in either area against Northwestern. And I think that against Clemson, I just think he has to be really good on, on, on both sides. And I don't know what they need from Trey Sermon. I think that that'll depend on, on, on how that game sort of plays out. And I think that that's the interesting part about Ryan day is like, say Trey Sermon sort of gets going early. Like, is he willing to throw out some parts of the game plan and just say, all right, we're going to Trey. I don't, I, that, that's the thing. I don't really know that he is. So I think that it's way more likely that the, that Justin Fields passing numbers are, are higher than, than both their running numbers combined, just because I don't really think even in this game, I think they're going to rely on Justin Fields, the passer. And I think that that's, you know, until, until I, until I see otherwise, like to me, that's what his aggression answer after the game means. Like, I just think that, I think they're going to throw the ball a lot and I think they're going to want to establish the run, but they're going to establish the run to hit the big plays that we've seen them do at times over the last two years. Yeah, I think so too. And I think they, I think they have to be able to hit the big plays in this game. I mean, I think, you know, if you're not seeing the big plays from Justin Fields, that we've seen in the vast majority of games in his career, but I, I don't think you're going to beat Clemson. I think, I think to win a game like this, you've got to be hitting those big plays down the field. And certainly you know, if you get Chris Olave back, you know, that, that should go a long way in that regard. Uh, but, you know, they need to be sharp. I mean, you know, and it, you need to be hitting the big plays and you also can't have the turnovers because I think that's been one of the big hallmarks of Justin Fields' career is he, he's typically avoided turnovers. But we've seen now, you know, two interceptions against Northwestern, three interceptions against Indiana. We did see him throw a couple interceptions against Clemson last year. And this is the kind of game where you just can't make those mistakes if they're going to come back to haunt you. What did you think about this team defensively? Um, it was one of those games where we spent the week leading up to it saying, you know, not hundred percent sure how much we're going to learn about this team on the defensive side of the ball. But I also think, you know, the way that the one way you can look at it is, you know, without, without a certain few key plays, specifically those, those interceptions and, and also that fumble recovery, like this game would have been fairly different. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think, you know, the, the defense pitched a shutout in the second half. So, you know, that's usually a good thing when you, when you pitch a shutout in the second half of a game, um, you know, I think that's certainly a good thing. So I, I give the defense a lot of credit uh, for their performance in this game, because I think, you know, I mean, this was a game where Ohio state's offense did not pull it away. You know, Northwestern, we talked about, what Northwestern had to make this game to have a chance to win. And Northwestern did that. We, we talked about Northwestern had to keep this game low scoring to have a chance to win this game. And that's what it did. And so Ohio state's defense had to keep Northwestern in this game. And, you know, I think early on, you know, the defense didn't look very good either. And we saw Northwestern drive right down the field on its first drive. But then after that, Northwestern didn't score another touchdown. So, I think overall it was a good performance for the defense. You know, I, I, w- I was really impressed, especially rewatching the game. Uh, I thought it was a really good game 
uh, for the defensive line. You know, I think, you know, Garrett and Togiai continued to dominate. I mean, they're just really impressive. I, I thought Jonathan Cooper and Tyreek Smith uh, both had good games as well. You know, just rewatching them and, you know, seeing the pressure they were making. Uh, certainly Justin Hilliard, he, he had the best game of his career. I mean, he was just all over the place in that game. So uh, he had a fantastic performance. Uh, I think the big question we're going to keep going back to here is the secondary. And, you know, we talked about it last week and my opinion hasn't really changed, but I, I just don't really think the secondary was tested in this game. So to take, to take anything away from Saturday in terms of whether this secondary can hold up against Trevor Lawrence, I just don't think I can. It's an absolute massacre of a year to try and figure anything out about a team when, you know, we, we spend, we spend weeks talking about, you know, what they can do in the secondary. And then it's like, well, none of the dudes who we think uh, might be able to, to, to be the fixes, like you can't really throw them in those positions when there are going to be other guys who are missing a game, like Marcus Hooker just missed the game unexpectedly. And, and then Josh Proctor has to be back there at safety. You know, we were wondering maybe if Josh Proctor's back there at safety full-time, you know, maybe that's an, a, a move that Ohio State can make to try and improve that back. The, the defensive backfield, but it's just so hard to know. And I think that, you know, they're at a point in the season where you just sort of have to ride it out. Um, and, you know, I do, I, you know, I think that they're going to play more two safety looks against Clemson than they did last year. And then they've did really this, this entire season, as long as they can both play. And obviously that's the caveat for everybody on this team, but I'm like you, like we're going to spend a lot of time over the next week and a half, and everybody is, everybody who covers Ohio State, everybody who watches Ohio State is going to be thinking about, like, what's the secondary going to look like when they're facing Trevor freaking Lawrence? <laughs> like, we've seen him against Michael Penix, and Michael Penix looks like the second coming of John Elway. And then well, what's it going to look like when you actually have a guy who's going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft facing, you know, seven banks, Marcus Williamson, Marcus Hooker? Like, that's going to be, that's going to be fascinating. But like you, you know, it. I, as, as much as my viewpoint has changed on the offense, it's like this is the same old defense it's been the entire season. Question marks in the back end. The defensive tackles are amazing. The defensive ends, I think, are a little bit underrated. And the linebackers are as consistent as can be. And, you know, there's a guy, it feels like every single week, who has a standout performance. And like this week is John, Justin Hilliard, who legitimately wouldn't have even started if Baron Browning played. And it turned out he was the best player on either side of the ball on defense. Yeah, I, I did think Josh Proctor played well for the most part. I mean, he had he, he dropped yeah. an interception that probably could have been a pick six. Uh, he did have one bad whiff on a run that looked a yeah. little too Whew. much like the Trevor Lawrence run last year uh, that you want to be seeing right now. Um, so I, I, I still have my question marks there about him playing that position in a game like this, but I did think for the most part, he played a good game back there. I mean, I didn't think he gave up a lot of big plays. Uh, he did, you know, make another interception later in the game, you know, so that's a tough call. Like, like if they're both healthy, who would I start at that deep safety spot? I'm really not sure. I'm really not sure. Cause I, I just, I just, uh, that's one of the challenges of this six game season is I just, haven't quite seen enough football to really feel confident in, in what's their best lineup back there if everybody's healthy. But I, I did think Proctor played a, a pretty good game. You know, I thought Lathan Ransom came in and played pretty well for a true freshman who was suddenly called upon to be the second safety because all their other safeties were out. Uh, now, do I necessarily want to count on him in a game against Clemson when he's played 
24 career defensive snaps. I don't know what I do, but you know, I did think that he did some good things when he was in the game. So I think uh, that's at least encouraging, but yeah, I mean, to just to, 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 to come out of a game against Northwestern, you know, feeling, you know, more confident in the defense, it's just hard to do that because the, the type of talent they're going to be facing on Northwestern's offense is just at a completely different level. I mean, Clemson's question from, offense. I mean, yeah. Question from Buckeye 2011. Which performance surprised you most, Trey Sermon or Justin Hilliard? I got to go with Sermon because to, to, to break the school record, with 331 yards. I mean, you know, I, I thought Sermon, you know, was going in the right direction of this season and, you know, was capable of some strong performances down the stretch, but I really didn't see that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm there with you because <laughs> I just sat there watching the game like, like I thought he was below average. And then he looked like like he had a run – like he had several runs where it's like, I think this is JK Dobbins. <laughs> like, like he was, he looked like, like a high level college running back. who's going to get picked high in the NFL draft on a couple runs. And it's like, it was incomprehensible to me. Whereas I think Justin Hilliard, like, I think we've seen flashes of Justin Hilliard being really good. And to be honest, like, I sort of feel bad because um, he just like, this is his sixth season at Ohio state. He's obviously not getting the full season. He's not even a full-time starter. And then, you know, he missed the first game with, with some sort of injury. He missed the second game with a false positive COVID-19 test. So, really, he's gotten, you know, he's played, what, four games, essentially, yep. in, in his sixth season. Like, I think he's actually been pretty good this year. It's just been – he's been under the radar because they've had three other pretty good linebackers. Yep, I completely agree with all of that. I mean, I, I, I don't – that was one, like, you know, going into the game, like, you know, we we obviously knew that you know losing Chris Olave could be a significant impact. I mean, personally, I was concerned about the punting situation because they didn't have Drew Chrisman and uh, props to Zach Hoover, the walk-on punter who came in and did a really good job down two of his free punts inside the six-yard line, no issues there. But I really wasn't worried at all about Baron Browning being out. Not, but I don't think Baron Browning's a good player. But just because I. I thought Justin Hilliard could do the job. I thought based on what we had seen from him this year, I was confident Justin Hilliard could come in and do the job. And, and he, he more than did that. I mean, he, he, he played a phenomenal game. So I don't know that I was even really like, I mean, I, I didn't expect him to have the game that he did, but I don't know that I was really all that surprised by Justin Hilliard having a big game because I, I do think you could see those flashes. And like you said, it's, it's just unfortunate for a guy that's had to go through so much where it seems like he's finally really starting to look like a player that, you know, he was recruited to be that he doesn't get this full season to really show it off. I hope he gets us, you know, I hope things sort of normalize so that he can get a chance in an NFL camp to impress somebody, because I don't think he's going to get drafted. Um, that would, I, that would just blow me away. Um, but I think that he'll have a chance to, to make a roster. I mean, he's some dude, he, he's somebody you could see, I mean, he is a good special teamer. I mean, he's he made plays early in his career on special teams, um, and he's somebody who, you know, he's a high-character guy who's a veteran who understands things. Like, you know, he's someone who I could see making it up the roster. I think he has the talent. I mean, he's a five-star recruit. It's just been a matter of getting on the field. I mean, I, I almost like – Dan, it's funny. Like, last last fall, I remember there's an interview with him, and, and you, know, you know, he was sort of talking about, like, 
you know, he wants to, he wants, he, his, his sole goal still is to play in the NFL. And it's almost like, you know, the media, like I'll include myself in there, just sort of like viewed it as like a little bit of a cute story. Like, like uh, rather than a, a realistic possibility because the guy's been through so, so, so much. I mean, he had bicep injuries and in both of his biceps torn Achilles I mean, it would have been, it would have made sense for him to hang it up, but he didn't. And I think the fact that he's gotten back to this point is astounding. And, you know, there's re- obviously there's a, there's a lot of reason to talk about what Haskell Garrett overcame, but if we're going to talk about like long-term stuff, like the fact that Justin Hillier is actually <laughs> playing at a level where he's the best player in the big 10 championship game is sort of crazy. Yeah. And, and I don't think it's unrealistic at all. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think, I think he absolutely has the potential to play in the NFL. I think, you know, in terms of draft stock, I, I do think, you know, it's probably going to scare teams his injury history and that's probably going to hurt him, but I don't think it's unrealistic at all that he could play in the NFL. I think he's got that kind of ability. You know, I, I, I he'd be a very difficult uh, prospect for me to kind of figure out like exactly what teams are going to see in him just because, you know, he, he has had such unusual circumstances and he still hasn't played that much football. Uh, but I do think you see the tools there. And I, I, I think, you know, I think he's def- definitely going to get a look uh, from NFL teams. And I think a performance like Saturday's could go a long way for him. I think it's time to talk about the game, the game between Clemson and the 11th best team in the country. The one we've all <laughs> been waiting for. Is there yeah. anybody, is there anybody in the world that is been more hated in Columbus since you've been covering the team than Dabo Sweeney. No. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I don't even think that there's anybody close. I mean, I think early Harbaugh was maybe right around there. I mean, at this point, it's just like apathy when it comes to Harbaugh. It's like this right. guy, like this guy, he's he's he sucks at coaching. I mean, Ohio State fans Ohio State. want Harbaugh to stick around yeah. because they're confident they can whoop his ass every year. Completely fair. And I'm not sure I've I've seen a hatred in people like there is when when Dabo Sweeney does literally anything, and I've got to say, like it is absolutely thrilling to see this matchup happen again. Yeah, I mean, it just it just makes it more entertaining. It makes it more fun to cover when you've got this. You know, we need a in- villain. Like a, yeah. a, he is a perfect villain. It does. It, it makes it more fun, and and you know. The thing about it is he, he is a perfect villain because he just leans right into it. He does not, he does not do anything to, to, to backtrack his way out of these things. He just, he just leans right into it. And that's exactly what happens when, you know, when he, when he was filling out his coach's poll ballot on Saturday night, Sunday morning, whenever he did that, he had to know that there was a really good possibility that Clemson was going to play Ohio state and that this was going to be the only coaches poll ballot of the year that was going to be made public. And he still said, I'm going to put Ohio state 11th when nobody else put Ohio state below six. He just says, I'm going to put Ohio state 11th, give Ohio state that bulletin board material and just did it. That, that was 
amazing because I looked at I think it was BTN's Dave Revson, if I'm pronouncing that correct. Revson. Dave Revson. Revson. Yeah, who 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 tweeted that out initially, and so I went and found like the 61 ballots of all the coaches, and I was like, all right, like 11 sounds crazy, but like were there like four other coaches that voted Ohio State way down there because they just they didn't view the Big Ten uh, that way, and I control I did Control F Ohio State. And I clicked that that button 61 times, and I never found them below six until Dabo Sweeney all the way down at like number 58 ballot. And I was like, I cannot, I can't believe he actually did it. Like I like he's talked that way the whole season. To actually put that out there or put your name on it is <laughs> just unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, that's who Dabo is. You know, Dabo is. You know, I, I get why I get why he's hated. I get why he's hated. Yeah, I mean he brings it upon himself. You know, I personally appreciate his candor. I personally appreciate that he is who he is, and a lot of people hate him for who he is, but I appreciate having personalities like that in, in the sport because it does make it more interesting. Um, you know, and you know, this is an issue. He's stuck to his guns on it. I mean, he has not been afraid to say that you know he thinks Ohio State shouldn't be a playoff team because it didn't play enough games but he's got to play them now i mean i mean you know you know he he certainly of the mindset that Ohio State has been advantaged by getting to this point having only played six games you know i i've already outlined my disagreement with that but i i, I think it's hurt Ohio State that they haven't been able to play uh, more games. And, you know, as we've talked about, we just don't know how good this team is. And I would think, you know, even if you're Ohio state's coaches, you probably feel the same way right now, but you know, that's how he feels. Uh, he's stuck to his guns on that. Um, none of it's really going to matter uh, come next Friday because next Friday, it's going to be all about just who plays better football uh, for those 60 minutes. Uh, but it does make the buildup of the game more fun when you've got this back and forth going on. Yeah, like like I I love the fact that this is happening. I mean, everybody has now seen the Demario the, the the video that Demario McCall uh live streamed in the locker room of Ryan Day dropping an F bomb and saying we're gonna go uh whoop Bama, Clemson or, or Notre Dame. Um the fact that these are coming out on both sides is is fascinating to me. Um, because it makes the the this game just mean that much more to, to these programs. I'm always Someone who is, you know, bulletin board material, whatever, like that sounds great. I think that I think that when I was playing high school football, I was under the impression that our rival uh, school's coach like wouldn't even step foot in our town for some reason. And I was just like a 16 year old that would just believe anything that was said. (laughs) So like like part of me is like I know that behind the scenes, it's like none of this even matters because if they need motivation, they'll just make it up, Um, which you know, I think it's real, but the other aspect of it is like Dabo actually going out there and doing this. I do think, you know, Ohio state needs to go play its best game. Like there's no doubt in my mind that they will be completely locked in. Like there is, this is the game that they've been waiting an entire year for. It actually is going to happen in front of them. They're going to get Chris Olave back. They'll have Justin Fields. Like they'll have everybody as of now, it seems um, that, that, you know, went through that, you know, terrible experience last year and, and gets another shot at them. And, and 
I'm just so glad it's here. I'm I'm just I'm just happy we're actually going to witness it. And I know that I, you know there's a sense that I get around Ohio State fans of just complete uncomfortability with this and this team after watching them beat Northwestern 22 to 10, which is reasonable. But you've seen what some of these guys can do. You you know the talent on on, on both sides of the ball that Ohio State has. And if things can click, like let's not pretend that Ohio State can't beat Clemson because they only laid 22 points on Northwestern. Like this, this is this this can be this this has the potential to be a great great game. Yeah, I mean, this is the game we wanted, right? Like, isn't isn't this the game like you wanted to see? Like, to me, ever since that game ended last year, I started thinking about. I hope we get to see this game again next year because we knew Trevor Lawrence was going to be back. We knew Justin Fields was going to be back. You know, and I, I think the some of a build up to this game kind of got lost in everything that happened this year because. I think we would have been talking about this potential matchup all year long if it wasn't for the pandemic and, you know, all the questions about whether there was going to be a season at all. But, you know, to me, I mean, I think this has been the matchup in college football. I mean, just period, not just Ohio state, but just everybody, you know, this is the matchup that people have wanted to see in college football. And now we're going to get it. I mean, I think this is certainly the matchup the Buckeyes wanted. They wanted another shot at them. I mean, I think this, this means more to them. You know, you take away the Michigan game, that's too bad. You take away some of those other games, it's too bad. But this is the one that they have had their sights set on for 12 months. So, yeah, I'm glad it's here. And more so than anybody else on the beat, you probably follow Clemson and, and what they do just because you covered them not too long ago. Um what should people know about this Clemson team? And, and, you know, there's a level of familiarity about the Tigers in general that I think Ohio State fans have more so than basically any other opponent that they would have drawn um, in, in bowl season. But what about this specific Clemson team do you think is important to know about? Yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's a really well-rounded team. I mean, I really do. I mean, I think it might be the most, you know, well-rounded and complete team in the country because I think – you know, they, they've been really good on, on both sides of the ball. I mean, if you look at it, their top 11 in both total offense and scoring offense and total defense and scoring defense, that's the only team in the country you can say that about. And I think, you know, of course, everybody knows Trevor Lawrence. Everybody knows uh, Travis Etienne. You know, they both had big games uh, against Ohio State last year. I don't, I don't know if there's as many superstars on this Clemson team as there were last year. Like, you, you don't have a singular player on defense – like they had in Isaiah Simmons last year, who's just all over the fields making plays. You know, I, they don't have a T Higgins at receiver this year. They've got, they've still got good receivers though. I mean, they still, they've still got receivers that are better than just about anyone Ohio state's beleaguered secondary has faced. So uh, don't get me wrong there, but I, I don't know if this team has quite as much star power, but this is still, undoubtedly, you know, one of the most talented teams in the country. And, and they've got a lot of depth, you know, I think especially on the defensive side of a ball, you know, I think they just have a lot of guys that they rotate in and out, you know, really at all levels of, of the field. And so I, I just think there's a lot of talent on, on this team. And I think it's a team that's really hitting its stride too. You know, I think, you know, there was a time, you know, a month ago that like a lot of Ohio State fans were looking at Clemson and say, oh, well, they, they lost to Notre Dame and they barely beat Boston College and they uh, go out to pull away against Syracuse. And so maybe Clemson's down a little bit. But you look at these last three games that they've played and, you know, they've just rolled over, 
you know, they rolled over Pitt, they rolled over Virginia Tech, they rolled over Notre Dame, you know, in the rematch. Uh, it just looks like a team that's really hitting its stride at the right time. And so I think this is going to be, you know, a really tough matchup for, for Ohio state. You know, I, I, I think probably both teams were probably both a little better last year than they were this year, but I still think Clemson's really, really good team. I think it's by far the best team that Ohio state will have played this season. And I think it's, it, it's a game that is going to force Ohio state to perform well in every area because Clemson is capable of doing that. Do you think like who who are like two or three guys under the radar that since you are since you follow it maybe a little bit closer than the general Ohio State fan would like who are two or three guys not named Travis Etienne or Trevor Lawrence <laughs> that are important to know about? Yeah, well, I think you know I, I, a couple guys I look at on the defensive line and, and recruiting people might know these names. But uh, Miles Murphy and, and Brian Breesey, who are both five-star recruits uh, out of high school, you know, they've both made a really immediate impact on that defense. I believe Miles Murphy has 10 tackles for loss this year, uh, leads the team in that category. You know, he, he's already emerged as you know, a potentially elite defensive end. Uh, Breesey has been an immediate starter at defensive tackle. He's looked really good there. Uh, you know, I think, you know, at receiver, you know, Amari Rogers, a guy who made some plays against Ohio state last year, he still doesn't have that same kind of name recognition as a T Higgins or, or Justin Ross, who who's out for the season because he's hurt, but he's a really good player. He makes a lot of plays for him. Uh, he's certainly a guy uh, that, you know, I'll be watching closely uh, in this game. And, you know, I think, I think they, they have a lot of talent. I think they just have a lot of really good players on, on their defense who aren't, stars but i think they're good players. i think linebacker they've got a lot of depth uh mike jones jr bale inspector um and then they've even got some young guys who they've you know kind of rotated in there a little bit more as the season's gone on uh levante bentley uh trent trenton simpsons who's another five-star recruit uh, and then you know the secondary i mean they've been a little bit up and down in, in terms of a secondary much like ohio state has but uh, i think their corners are really talented darian kendrick's a guy who started against ohio state last year uh, Andrew Booth, Sheridan Jones, those are guys that have made some plays. Uh, they are going to be without Nolan Turner for the first half of this game due to a targeting penalty of the AC championship game. And I think that's somewhat significant because obviously Ohio State fans are going to remember to play uh, from last year where he made the interception. And he's really a guy who's kind of been their leader in the back end uh, this year with some of the guys that they've lost. Uh, so I do think that's significant, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of a weakness there. Uh, for the first half of a game with, with not having him out there. But uh, I think overall, I think this is a team uh, that's got a lot of talent. I think you know, probably if you're looking for a weak, weak point, it's probably the offensive line because uh, they lost a lot there from last year. Uh, they do have Jackson Carmen, who Ohio State fans know. But other than that, uh, they're kind of mediocre on the offensive line. That said, you know, there was a lot of talk about their rushing offense, struggling most of the year. But if you look at their last two games, uh, they they've averaged they've averaged 7.9 yards per carry against Virginia Tech and then over eight against Notre Dame. So they, their rushing offense has found their stride here late in the year. So they they seem like they're just kind of firing on all cylinders at this point. We have a couple questions um, about Clemson specifically. I'll just we'll just do them back to back. The first one from I bleed S and G um, outside of quarterback. 
what position group do you see Clemson having a distinct advantage over Ohio State? And then, you know, he says maybe the defensive backfield. Other than that, I personally don't see one. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I do think, yeah, if we're, if we're just going, you know, position by position in terms of, you know, not necessarily to matchups, but just to a position against the other. I mean, yeah, I would I would take Clemson secondary over Ohio State secondary just because we've seen, uh, you know, we've seen the question marks uh, there for the Buckeyes. You know, I mean, Sean Wade might be more talented than anyone in Clemson secondary, but I would take, you know, as a whole, I, I would take Clemson secondary over Ohio State secondary. I mean, I would I would take Trevor Lawrence over Justin Fields right now because of some of the struggles we've seen from Justin Fields in recent weeks. But I, mean, I also don't think that's a huge advantage. I mean, I still think Justin Fields is one of the two best can't, quarterbacks. It can't football, be a huge so. advantage. Right. I think that's the thing. It's like it, like maybe I think it was last week. If it is still a huge advantage, then, then Ohio, Ohio State's State going to no lose. Chance. Correct. Yeah. But 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 if they're on equal footing or whatnot, then then Ohio State's right there. Yeah, I don't I don't think it should be. You know, and in terms of other positions, I mean, as good as Trey Sermon was last week, I'm still taking Travis Etienne. Uh, Unbelievable. I, Dan, yeah. you know that Trey Sermon had twice as many yards as Etienne has had uh, in a single game this year, right? Yeah. He's but, basically the Heisman Trophy front runner now. Yeah, I mean, one game. Uh, one game, Colin. Um, uh, and we've seen Etienne perform in these big games before. So uh, I would still take him um, there, you know, you know, receivers, if Ohio State's healthy, then Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are going to be the two best receivers in the game. Uh, so that would be an advantage for Ohio State. Uh, tight ends, neither team really uses the tight ends a ton, but if we're just taking in terms of the players, I'm going to take Luke Farrell and Jeremy Ruckert here. Uh, I am going to take Ohio State's offensive line, especially if they, uh, you know, play the way they did against Northwestern in terms of run blocking. Uh, I do think that's a definite advantage for Ohio State is the offensive line defensive line. I, I'd probably take Ohio state too. Um, I, I, I think that's, I, I think both teams though are, are somewhat similar in that regard, you know, but you know, neither one of them's got that chase young, you know, neither one of them's got that, you know, uh, superstar defensive end this year, who's going to be, you know, a, a ton of sacks guy, but they both have a good amount of players uh, you know, who can bring pressure, you know, a strong rotation. I'd give Ohio State the edge just because of how good the defensive tackles have been. Um, but I, th- I think that would be uh, an, an advantage for Ohio State. And linebackers, that'd be pretty close for me. I mean, I, I like uh, I like the experience Ohio State has at linebacker. I think they've played really well this year. But I think Clemson's really solid there too. And I think Clemson has played, you know, we, we talked about going into this year, would Ohio State, you know, really rotate their linebackers and they still really haven't done so that much, but Clemson actually does like Clemson has played a, a, a deeper rotation of guys there. Um, so that one's almost a push for me in terms of, you know, whose linebackers I would take. You know, and, and I think that your answers sort of highlight something that we've known, but you know, when you lay it out position by position, I think it becomes even more clear. And that is, the importance of Justin Fields and this defensive backfield, which is like, if those are the two areas, like if Justin Fields has to be as good as Trevor Lawrence and this defensive backfield cannot be the defensive backfield we saw against Indiana, like to me, like it's so simple sometimes, but it's like, sometimes it just comes down to that. Like Justin Fields has to be awesome. And this defensive backfield that I think, 
you know, they've talked about improvement, but we just haven't been able to see it. Like it has to be improved. And like, those are the two things where it's like, if you go position by position, like these are the areas that there seems to be a little bit of variance and there can't be once January 1st comes. Right, right. Clemson doesn't have a big enough advantage in any other area where, you know, there's another area where I think the game should really strongly swing in Clemson's favor. But I do think those are the areas. I think Justin Fields needs to be at his best. He needs to be the player we know he can be. And I mean, I've said it a hundred times on this podcast and we're going to say it again this week and again next week. And we said it all along the secondary is going to make or break this team's national championship hopes. And I firmly believe that to be the case going into next week, that how well Ohio state secondary holds up against Trevor Lawrence is going to determine whether Ohio state goes to play in the national championship game or whether its season is going to be over. It's such a weird year. It's such a weird year where I feel like since that Indiana game, I've just learned nothing about this secondary, but Oh, well, that's 2020. That's just how we, that's, that's how, uh, that's how it's going to be. Uh, one more question about this game, which is from LA Buck, which is what do you think is the bigger matchup? Ohio State's defensive backfields versus Clemson wide receivers or Ohio State's offensive linemen versus Clemson's front seven? Yeah. I mean, I think I kind of just answered that. I mean, I really do. I really do think it, it goes down to uh, this secondary. I, I really do because there's just been so many, you know, questions there, you know, I, you know, I, I'm fairly confident in, in Ohio state's offensive line, you know, going into this game uh, just based on what we've seen, you know, I, I know they haven't been, you know, they haven't been perfect in, in, in pass protection. And certainly, you know, I, I think, you know, Brent Venables is going to make it difficult on, on them. But like, to be honest, like when I watch, you know, like the Northwestern game, like, I think a lot of that is, is really on fields. Like I, I really do. Like, I really think a lot of the issues we saw for him, you know, against Indiana Northwestern, it's, it's really not so much that the offensive line isn't giving him good protection. It, it's more that, you know, he, he's just not handling the pressure as well as he needs to. He's, you know, he, he's either, you know, he's holding the ball onto the ball too long or he's taking sacks or, you know, I think that starts to get into his head. Then he starts to kind of panic at the first sign of pressure and, and he makes poor decisions. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say the offensive line has been great in pass protection because I don't think it has been, but I, I also don't view that as, as a, a glaring issue here. I think it's more about you play a team like Clemson that's going to blitz a lot. You're going to face pressure if you're Justin Fields and you've got to be able to handle it. Yep, and I think that I think that's the total unknown with him. Is I thought that I thought that I thought he would be able to, and now it's just you don't totally know that going into that game. But you have any last thoughts on the Clemson game, or you know we've got a I think whole we podcast can, next week to to preview it. Yeah, I think we can. I think we can move on and, and talk about that next week. Uh, we'll certainly. I mean, that's going to be uh, what we're focused on uh, for all of next week's episode. So I think uh, we can dive in deeper, and certainly. Uh, any questions that you all have, uh, please uh, feel free to send them to us and we'll be sure to answer them on next week's show. Three things we think are, are gloriously titled um, part of this show. Dan, do you have something that you've been thinking about this this week or, uh, or should I start? I'll start. I'll say, you know, I, I think it's kind of, you know, one thing I've kind of thought about 
recently is how, you know, and part of this is just based on the facts that it's been such a short season, but like, you know, I looked at the list that came out of all the national award finalists on Tuesday. And the only one for Ohio state was, was Josh Myers at the Remington trophy. And I guess just a point is, you know, and I think we, we kind of fought this to some extent going into the year, but I think it's maybe even been a little bit more pronounced than I thought. Is it like as talented as this team is like, there just aren't, there haven't been that many guys that have really risen to the level of being, you know, that those superstars, you know, best player in the nation type players at, at their position this year. Because I think even the guys that are getting a lot of that credit, like a Josh Myers, like a Sean Wade, like a Wyatt Davis, you know, I, I think they're great players, but I think they played better last year than they have this year. So, you know, I, I don't know if that necessarily means anything, you know, I, in terms of, you know, how good is this team in terms of winning a national championship? Cause I think they've got more than enough great players, more than enough talent to do so. It's just kind of interesting to me. Cause you, you know, you think of back to last year and like, you had a guy in Chase Young who was clearly the best defensive end in the country. You had a guy in Jeff Okuda who was the best cornerback in, in the country. I think Justin Fields had a case for being the best quarterback in the country that based on his play and a shortened schedule this year, he just doesn't right now in terms of, you know, those awards. I, I just think it's interesting that o- Ohio state hasn't quite had guys rise to that level this year as much as we had seen last year and in some of our previous seasons. It's almost borne out exactly as we predicted though. Like I think we talked before the season about how we'd see a lot of guys who are really solid, didn't really know if, who the stars were. And I think that the the real, you know, going off of that is there are guys who we thought might be stars who, you know, they've been good, but they haven't been that star guy. Like I, like Josh Myers, I think like, I think he was objectively bad in some games. Um, the fact that he's a Remington finalist, like it just feels like to me, you know, the people who have voted on that didn't exactly watch every single snap they had this season. Cause like, you know, he hasn't been bad lately, but I don't think in six games, he's been one of the three best centers in the country. Um, you know, Wyatt Davis is about his, I thought, I think Wyatt Davis has been good. I don't think he's been un, like a, like an unbelievable guard that's going to go top 10 in the draft, which is what I thought he might be. So, you know, it's an interesting season, but I do think it sort of showcases along with that is that they're still really good because they just don't, they, they got, they have a lot of talented, solid guys everywhere. There's not a ton of guys you, and, and you can't pick them apart. Like I think Harry Miller and Marcus Hooker haven't been great this year. Um, but in general, this is a, this is a solid team. Yep. Agree with that. I said, the, the second thing is it's so great that this is back to back because I think Haskell Garrett should be an all American consideration. And you know, I think I'm going to write about this this week or something because I just, you know, people around the country might have heard his name now. I don't think he's getting just due for what he's doing. Like we talk about what, what Justin Hilliard did on Saturday, which is unbelievable. Like the, the game he had after what he's overcome, like he deserves all of this credit. Haskell Garrett's story, like I get that, you know, there are some people who I think have heard that Haskell Garrett got shot in the face like a hundred times by now. And they're like, can we please stop talking about this? And I think that there's, you know, you mentioned earlier this week to me, like the human element of like, it's probably, you know, I don't think Haskell Garrett really wants to hear that all the time. And like, totally fair. I get that. The fact that he's doing this after that, 
to me is what's crazy. It's not the fact that he got shot in the face. It's the fact that I thought he was average last season and he's turned into what I think is one of the, I don't know, one of the very best defensive tackles in the country. And I think that people have known him more so maybe nationally because of the shooting rather than the fact that he's amazing right now. Like he's on, he's unbelievable. I think he's their best defensive player this season. And, you know, I can't believe I'm saying that because if you had asked me in January to rank the players on Ohio State's defense, I, I'm not even kidding. Like, I don't think Haskell Garrett made, would have made my top 15. Yeah, I remember when we uh, when we did our draft before the season of players, and I think I took Haskell Garrett right at the end because we didn't know what his status was going to be. And I think you had said that you, you wouldn't have taken him at all just because you didn't know however he was going to be able to play this year. And now, I mean, if we were doing that draft now, he, he might go in the top five. I mean, that's, that's how good he has been this year. I mean, he's he would been, because I would take him top five. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, he's been phenomenal. I mean, I mean, he's, he's a guy and, you know, I mentioned it last week's show. Like it's going to be interesting. Like, I don't know what his decision is going to be in regards to the NFL. If he's thinking about coming back for another year, but like, he's a guy, I think he's an early round NFL draft pick. Now I think that's the kind of, level he has played at this year i mean you know and, and i think it's another one of those where you can't just look at the stats like you got to just watch the, the tape like the, the stats are not going to do it justice especially in a six game season but like i i would when i was watching the game last night like re-watching it over like yeah that was one of the things that struck me is like he's just so disruptive like there's just so many plays whether he makes the tackle or not like he is exploding off the line and he is disrupting the play. And and he's been doing that game in, game out all year long. And this is a guy, we, I mean, I didn't even know he'd be a starter this year. I mean, I thought maybe Teron Vincent would start over him. And, and, and he's, you know, become an absolute superstar on that interior defensive line. So I, I completely agree with you. I saw, you know, pro football focus uh, did name him as a first team All-American. And I think that's, extremely well-deserved the way he's played this year. And I think, you know, that should be the story. I mean, what what he overcame is amazing, but the story really, it's not just a feel-good story of, of, you know, coming back from something horrible that happened. It's the fact that he's legitimately an elite defensive tackle now. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And I think I need to write it because too many people are talking about the fact he got shot rather than the fact like, sure, he got shot. And then he's also the best player on a college football playoff defense. But do you have a third thing that, that you've been thinking about? I don't a hundred percent have one at the top of my head. Yeah. I just kind of wanted to, I kind of want to use this just to kind of mention a couple, a uh, couple players who you've only played sparingly, but just what I think have been, interesting you know maybe not guys that are going to factor into this college football playoff here but it's just been interesting uh to see what they've uh done here um in in very limited action and a guy like Cormonte Hamilton who played one snap against uh Northwestern and he got a tackle for loss in that one play and like that's a guy I had no idea what to expect from him this year as he made that move from tight end to defensive end, but he's been, you know, he's been, he's been pretty impressive in the few snaps that we've seen him play. Uh, like I, I'm intrigued to see if what he can become in the future. 
And like a guy like Mayan Williams, who we saw, he just got in for a couple snaps against Northwestern, but he ran for 10 yards on his only carry. He looked pretty good in a few carries he got against Michigan state. And again, you know, I don't, I don't think these are guys that are going to really factor into the college ball playoff here, but I'm just intrigued to see as, you know, as we, as you know, you go into next year, like are these are guys who I would say, like, honestly are not guys that I've had high on my list of like guys that I expected to really become significant players at Ohio state. But it's just interesting to see those guys flash in those very small opportunities that makes you think maybe there's something there, but maybe in the future, uh, this guy can be a player. You know, also good to see because we didn't really, you know, get a chance to see them in the nine blowouts that are usually on the Ohio State schedule. So, you know, I, you know, there have been there have been some interesting moments to to, to see them in. It'll be interesting to spend an entire offseason previewing a team where we just didn't see a lot from a lot of guys. So I think that I think that we will have our work cut out once uh, once uh, February March rolls around, and I will be interested to see what we can glean out of a, a, a spring practice. But you know, it is good to it's good to actually get a vibe on on what Ohio State has on some of those. We had a few additional questions that we'll get through real quick here before we wrap up uh, silver sniper asked, what are your thoughts on the committee keeping Indiana out of the top 10, despite only losing a close game to Ohio state and selecting some two or three loss teams to the new year's six bowl games over them. And he also added, I'm not a huge conference pride guy, but it seems they got shafted and it reflects what they think of the big 10. Well, I'd agree. I think Indiana did get a shaft there. I, I, I was disappointed that Indiana didn't get selected for a New Year's Six Bowl because I thought uh, I thought they deserved to. I mean, like you said, their only loss was to a college ball playoff team. Uh, had an excellent season. Uh, I think we're you know the second best team in the Big Ten. Uh, this is the first time ever in the college ball playoff era that two Big Ten teams were not selected to the New Year's Six. So I think that tells you something about you know the Big Ten. Uh, you know, paying the price a little bit for not playing uh, that full season. I think Ohio State got the benefit of a doubt there, but the Indianas and Northwesterns of the world uh, maybe didn't. Um, but, you know, I mean, in terms of a rankings, you know, to me, you know, I, I just think this is all the more reason, you know, is when we get into the off season here for, for more and more discussions to be had about the college football playoff process and, and whether it should change going forward, because uh, I do think that um, I do think that the rankings were pretty questionable. You know, I, I, you know, I mean, for our purposes, I've been mostly focused on the top four because, you know, that that's uh, from Ohio state's perspective, that's all that really matters. Uh, but I, I, I do think that the rankings uh, are definitely pretty questionable in terms of, you know, some of the inc- implications there, uh, for New Year's Six Bowls and such. And I think, uh, you know, I, I think the amount of, you know, subjectivity that goes into this process, this year was always going to be tough. The committee had a tough job this year, unlike any every year. And, I, and I, I think it's hard to put too much weight into what happened this year, but I still think it, it adds to the conversation of, you know, how should, you know, how should things change? You know, should, you know, you know, the playoff be expanded, 
in certain ways or, you know, should there be different ways to qualify for whether it's the playoff or these big bowl games that aren't just based on a ranking by a 13 person committee. I think those are all, you know, fair questions here uh, as, as we move forward and as uh, the, the powers that be in college football uh, evaluate the future of the college football playoff. Yeah. Like it, you know, Indiana, it feels like I, if, if I was an Indiana fan, I'd feel like I've got to screw over. Like, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I think all three Indiana football fans probably feel that way. But uh, Taylor Lehman being one of them, shout out, shout out, former 11 Warriors writer. Um, like, on one hand, um, like, yeah, I think you can feel that. The other hand, you know, uh, it would have been it would have been great to for them to beat Ohio State if they wanted to to not feel like they get screwed over. So I think that you know on a lot of you know I, I feel that way when it comes to a lot of sort of these kind of arguments. But if you're just looking at like what they've done compared to some of the teams that are ranked higher than like yeah, I mean it feels pretty reasonable that they should have been higher because like they had a good team. Um, Sure, they were not high on the recruiting ranking. It's not like it's not like I think a lot of people in the, that room before this year started were super familiar with Indiana. But like, let's not pretend like they weren't good. Like the Michael Penix was awesome. Silver Sniper also asked about: Will we see any seniors come back an extra year, given that 2020 is not counting against eligibility? How will Coach Day manage that? And he adds, "It would be awesome if someone like Justin Hilliard got a seventh year." Uh, I think we talked about this a little bit. Uh, before uh, I think we could talk about it more, you know, after the season, as we really look ahead to, you know, the future of the roster. Uh, but, you know, basically, you know, see, you know, the seniors have that opportunity to make the decision for themselves. You know, it, it, it would, it would appear as though, particularly based on, you know, who was honored on senior day, that the majority of seniors are planning to leave after the season. Justin Hilliard is one of those players. I mean, I, it's my full understanding that he plans to pursue an NFL career after the season. I mean, he just, he just got his master's. He's been in school for six years. Uh, I, I think he's ready to move on uh, to, to trying to make it in the NFL at this point. Uh, and I think that's true for most of these guys. You know, I think, I think, you know, I think that's one thing to keep in mind here, but I think, I think, there's going to be less guys who come back for that extra senior year at Ohio state than you're going to see at a lot of other schools because most scholarship players at Ohio state come to Ohio state with visions of playing in the NFL. And so, you know, a a lot of these guys, you know, yeah, some of them are are definitely not, you know, early round NFL draft picks, but that still doesn't mean that they necessarily want to come back to school for, you know, another year, you know, after they've already been here, four or five or in Hilliard's case, even six at this point. So, um, you know, coach day has said that, you know, he expects them to not be well over 85. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know how the conversations go behind the scenes in terms of certain guys are told to move on or or how that goes. I'm just not privy to those, uh, conversations, but you know, I, I, what I thought was interesting was that, you know, there were four seniors who were not recognized on senior day. Those were Haskell Garrett, Marcus Williamson, Demario McCall, and Jalen Harris. And I don't know that necessarily means anything, but it would, it would at least indicate to me that those are guys who are keeping the door open 
to play another year of college football, whether that's at Ohio State or elsewhere. Uh, I, I would think, you know, that's why they were not honored on senior day and vice versa. I think the guys who were, while it's not necessarily too late for them to come back, I think the fact that they were would indicate that they are planning on this being their final year at Ohio State. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, you know, Ryan Day has sort of said before that, you know, these are conversations they'll have at some point, maybe in December or whatnot, later in December, but like, let's be honest, like they've, they've known, they've known what the roster will look like for a while. And I think, you know, they, they're taking a large freshman incoming freshman class with the understanding that a lot of these guys won't be back. And so uh, the vast majority of them. So I, I would expect that almost all of them will be gone except for maybe, you know, a couple, uh, a couple stragglers. Ruben asked, would a player like Chris Olave be allowed to practice during the Big Ten's acclimation period, or would he be coming off a playoff game cold without being able to practice that week? Uh, I think there's been a lot of confusion about this, but yeah, that's what the acclimation period is for, is for guys to be able to practice before they return to games. So uh, for anyone who tested positive 10 days after they test positive, that is now when they're able to return to, to, to practice. Uh, and, and Ryan days talked about this a couple of times about there's a, there's actually a whole plan in place that Ohio state has kind of developed for guys who are coming back. So, it, you know, if a guy comes back, you know, if he's completed his 10 day quarantine, his first day back at practice, he's not going to go out there and, and, be out there for every rep that he typically would take. They're going to, they're going to work these guys gradually back in over the course of a week. And and that's the reason why the big 10 has put this return to play protocol in place. And whether that's right or wrong, whether that helps or hurts uh, Ohio state, you know, those are questions that have been had at at this point, 17 days is what it's going to be. And that's that, but yes, uh, the good news for Ohio state is, you know, those guys that were unavailable against Northwestern due to positive tests, you know, those guys, if, if they're able to play in the game, you know, they're going to have, you know, a week of getting back on the practice field before that game. So it's not as if, you know, you're just going to get guys back their, their first day back out of quarantine playing a game. That That's what the big Ten's protocol is prevent. So there might be some guys who were unavailable for the Northwestern game who are back at practice for before the Clemson game, but they're still not going to be able to play because they haven't completed that seven day acclimation period yet. So, you know, our expectation is that Olave, you know, is going to be back at practice by next week and that he is going to be able to play. I, I, for other players, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, how that's going to work out in, in terms of timing. But yes, anybody who uh, is back and able to play, uh, they will have gone through a week of practice before they play. As we sign out, I just got to say, you know, it's perfectly 2020 to end a college football playoff reaction show with a COVID question. Yeah. Well, that's, that's 2020. And, you know, I, I, I said it last week, I, I kind of threw it in there as a warning that, you know, it feels like, you know, every time we don't talk about it on this show, something happens. And, you know, it did happen again last week, you know, last, last Wednesday is when the rumors started bubbling up about Olave and more, you know, positive tests in the program. And ultimately, you know, they did end up being without some, some key players. So 
Uh, we know a lot can change here uh, in nine days uh, in terms of all this. And, you know, we're obviously all hoping uh, for both teams, but, you know, COVID does not play a significant factor here because I think we all want to see both of these teams as close to full strength as possible uh, for the best game possible. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens here uh, in, in this build up to the game. But uh, we'll be back next week uh, for a full preview of the college football playoff game against Clemson. Again, feel free to send us your questions if you have uh, specific things uh, you want to answer. I uh, hope you all uh, have a great uh, holiday season, and we'll talk to you again next week.